I'm Anne, co-host of Transparency in Teaching, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Roberta Surrett. She is the author of the Transylvania Trilogy. First book is Gift of Diamonds, the second one, Love Odyssey, and the third, Treasure Seekers. Join us as we talk about history, the power of love and friendship, and the impact that the arts can have on our world. What an incredible talk. You're going to learn so much. Thanks for listening. And by the way, it'd be so cool if you would uh, go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews, and uh, left a review for the podcast. Could you do that for me? That would be so cool. Enjoy the show. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Roberta Surrett holds a doctorate in comparative literature and master's in French from New York University. She is president and founder of the NGO at United Nations International Cinema Education, the director of Advanced English and Film at the United Nations for the Hospitality Committee, where she teaches English language, world affairs, and film to diplomats. Additionally, she created and implemented at the United Nations the International Film Festival for High School Students. More than 15,000 students from 100-plus New York and Connecticut high schools have been invited free to this program. By using foreign film as the medium, she has created a multidisciplinary curriculum to teach students about global events. She partners with the United Nations. Roberta is the author of the Transylvania Trilogy, Gift of Diamonds, Love Odyssey, and Treasure Seekers. And it's from Wegu's Press in 2021. And this is our focus today. So here's a brief summary of this uh, trilogy. In Gift of Diamonds, we are swept along with 17-year-old Micah as she is forced to flee Romania after the imprisonment of her parents by the secret police for inciting a demonstration against the dictatorial regime. Escaping with her father's rare and possibly cursed diamonds, Micah travels in the middle of the night on bike to the Hungarian border. In her need to survive, she voyages along the often treacherous road of self-discovery with her three lifelong friends, for they are the four musketeers. Books two and three... Love Odyssey, a historical romance, and Treasure Seekers, an international thriller, follow Micah's fellow musketeers as they take the main stage in their riveting stories of escape, terror, love, resistance, and survival. Their own journeys of self-discovery link the standalone books together in the trilogy. Roberta Surrett lives in New York City with her husband and their two sons. Roberta, thanks so much for talking with me today, and uh, say hi to everyone. Well, hello, everybody, and I want to say thank you, Steve, for inviting me. I love your program. I think it's a very important one, and I'm very honored to be here. Well, thank you so much, and I'm glad that you're here. And uh, um, before we talk about your book trilogy, the Transylvania Trilogy, let's talk about you. Tell us about this International Film Festival at the United Nations for high school students. I mean, what, what's it like, and what happens at the event, and what, what do you see as its purpose? Well, I think I probably should start how I got the idea. I got the idea when I was actually a college student. Um, I was very honored to get a scholarship to be a, a student in France. And while I was there, what I liked the most was a cinema club. And we would meet once a week, Wednesday evening, and it would be a foreign film from another department of the university, sometimes the law department, sometimes the science department, sometimes the art department. And it would take us to another country 
to another theme. And after that, the chairman of the department would do the Q&A. I thought it was fantastic. It was a wonderful, wonderful way to learn because here I was traveling through film to countries that I had never traveled before. You can imagine a 20-year-old kid going to all over the world through film in France. I thought it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I said to myself, one day, I would like to do this for other students. The time came, unfortunately, but fortunately, whatever we want to say, but more unfortunately, was 9-11. It was my first day of teaching at the United Nations. I was asked to teach a class in ESL, English as a Second Language, to diplomats. The diplomats' English and their memo taking and their writings were not perfect. And they asked me to help them out. And I decided a wonderful way to teach foreign adults English would be through foreign film. Because if they would see the foreign film, they would see the subtitles in English then they would be able to go back and check the vocabulary and we would discuss the film in English rather than doing the traditional way of articles and newspaper things. So that's what I was planning to do. But then 9-11 came and places were put on hold and it was a tragedy, imagine, at the UN in New York at that day. And I went around that particular day at 9.30 in the morning when I showed up and I had heard that the Twin Towers had been struck looking at the United Nations, thinking, what is the UN doing for students? What should they do? Tragedies are happening, historical. Something has to be done. It has to be a place where they can have a forum students, like the UN gives a forum to foreign countries to talk, to discuss what are the problems, how to solve it other than war. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if I can go back in time to when I was a student and do that film festival that I always dreamt of? But Steve, it wasn't so easy. It took a few years. You can imagine the UN is a little slow in doing anything. (laughs) And this was something that they had never heard about before. And they said to me, this is like a pipe dream. And I said, yes, it's a pipe dream. But I persisted. And I was lucky because I was introduced to Kofi Annan at that time as the secretary general. And his assistant was a friend of someone I knew. And I had tea with the assistant and the assistant was a, was a sir from England. And he said, why didn't I ever think of that idea? And he helped me implement it. And who else helped me was Carolyn Kennedy, because I had to go back to the board of education to ask them for the green light to bring the students into the UN. And I contacted Carolyn Kennedy and she had just taken a special uh, job at the, U, at the board of education in New York city for one year to raise funds. And I said to her, I have a great idea. And I knew she was an entertainment lawyer from Columbia. I said, could you help me out? And she herself answered me. And so what a great idea. This is the person to contact at the Board of Education. And then I had to get the okay from the United Nations. And then I had to get, and it went on and on. And it took a few years, but we did it. And it's 20 years and we've invited free students into the UN to see foreign film. And the idea is, that they learn from these foreign films, what is going on in the world and why history should not repeat itself. And for the Q and A, I choose the host country. So if it's a film from China or Russia or Taiwan or Ukraine or North Korea or whatever, I choose the um, spokesperson, either the ambassador or the press secretary from that host country to do the Q and A. And it's, 
it's a great program. And over the years, I've taken the program into the schools itself, and I call it Global Voices Through Foreign Film. And I've increased it to college students and to adults because I think we're all visual learners. And now today I teach it at NYU, in NYU. So it was a pipe dream, but I guess you can say something has to be a dream before you can really get it going. Well, that's cool. And it's it, it's neat because, I mean, it, and to have it last for 20 years, especially when in the beginning you probably got a little more than your share of uh, um, <laughs> rejections. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to say it, but I, thank you very much for your interest. But uh, we'll, uh, talk to my, you know, this person, you know, or whatever. Um, sure. And uh, that is so cool. And so do they come, do the high school students come to participate there? I, I mean, they, do they prepare? First, I want to ask this. Is it all about watching other films or do they also produce their own films and submit them? Well, over the years, I've had different programs. One program was I had the students, uh, young filmmakers for the piece, and I gave them a list of the UN uh, mission subjects. And we talked to how to produce a 30-second PSA and a 60-second PSA. And I co-did with NYU Film, uh, Tish. So once in a while, I, I, I do that of actually filmmaking. Uh, sometimes I do actually films the students make, and we, we, we have them produced at the United Nations. But basically, Steve, it is to show the students foreign films, great foreign films from all over the world. And I have, I've shown over 200 films from about 65 countries. And they've all won awards, these films, because that's the criteria. They have to win an Oscar. They have to win Toronto or Berlin or Cannes or whatever. So the credibility. And they're great films. And you know what, Steve? I'm the one who learns the most. That's so cool. I can I I can only imagine because you know, interacting with all of them and and uh, hearing their thoughts about the film. I mean, I just can imagine what a great learning experience for yourself. That just, yes, not just it them. is, that, and it's opened up my mind. That's excellent. Very cool. Well, well, kudos to you for pursuing that because I can't imagine that at the beginning. You know, it, it's going to fit well with the question I'm going to ask you at the end. How do you? Um, but the uh, but uh, that's that's awesome. You know, one of the, one of the things I'm going to do, let's, let's shift to writing because we're going to get closer to your trilogy here in just a minute. Um, do you have any favorite writers? I mean, and if you do, who are they and what's the genre you like the most? Well, my favorite writers are foreign writers because I love the foreign voice. Um, I think they, they see things differently than we do. And I think they delve a little more deeply. So my favorite writers would be some of the Russians like Tchaikovsky, uh, like Dostoevsky or Chekhov, uh, um, French, uh, Proust, uh, British, James Joyce. Um, I like writers who use characters who are strong um, and the characters who are well-developed and other characters who pivot around that main protagonist and that main protagonist on a voyage, a voyage through life, searching for something. And at the end, I guess a Hollywood ending, finding it. And that solution or resolution of, or finding it is like a diamond. It's like what Virginia Woolf says, a, a, a nugget of golden truth. Um, and that I find inspiring. And that's what I look for. And that's what I always hoped to write. That's yeah, cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, and some of the, some of those writers I've, I've read and uh, you know, there's, there's one uh, by Doyce, Dostoevsky, how do you say his name? Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky, who, uh, you know, Crime and Punishment. That, uh, uh, that's, 
the best. I'll never forget that story. I've read it several times, and it's just it's just kind of haunting. So, <laughs> right, it's so deep and it's so true. It, Dostoevsky, as well as some of the great writers, they're able to get into the soul of the human being. And what's interesting, what Dostoevsky said is that he was never free to travel, so he had to travel in his imagination. Wow. And then in his imagination, he went to all parts of the soul, not countries, but the soul, to search for what is true. And this is a man who saw death because he was supposed to be hanged at one point, right on the scaffold. The last minute was pardoned by the czar. It was a man who was addicted to gambling. Um, so he had his own vices and his own terrors inside himself and his errors. And yet... He wrote the most beautiful literature that lives forever. What could be better than art than that? That's something else. Something else. I, you know, so now we're going to shift into your uh, Transylvania trilogy. Um, so tell me, what was the inspiration for you to write this? Well, as you see that all three books deal with Romania. And you may say, well, why Romania? Are you Romanian? No, I'm not Romanian. My husband is Romanian. My husband is Romanian born and educated and came to the United States already a doctor. And when 1989 came and communism was over and Ceausescu was out and executed, he said to me, let's go back. I want to show you my school. I want to show you my playground. I want to show you my house. I want to show you the city where I was born, which was Bucharest. And imagine how excited I was to go back there and see it all. But Steve, the day that we got there, we arrived in what you would call a little revolution. And it was a true revolution. And it was, to me, it was very exciting. My, to my husband, it was not exciting at all. And I even put it in as the opening scene in The Gift of Diamonds, in which the name of the character is Mika. And Mika is trying to escape Buker, um, Transylvania. And as she's escaping Transylvania on her bike, she's caught up on a revolution, a demonstration that her parents have started. And it is the coming in of Ceausescu they want to bring down. So I recreate the actual scene that happened to us. And because this, this actually happened, friends of ours in Bucharest said to us, you must get out of Bucharest, it's dangerous. And our friend arranged for a driver and the driver's car. And he was a intern because our, our friend was a doctor and he got one of the interns at the hospital. He said, I'm gonna give this intern a two week vacation. He's gonna take you up to Transylvania You'll stay there and see the beauties of Transylvania. You'll get out of Bucharest because there's too much aggravations here. And you pay him whatever you want in cash, and it's going to allow him to buy himself a new car, a Dacia, a Romanian car, which is probably worth $1,000. And everyone is going to be happy. And we went right out of Bucharest where this demonstration had, had started. And I placed it in the book in Transylvania. And Steve, I fell in love with Transylvania. My husband, it was a small little car, like a, like a, a two, two horsepower car. You could push it if you wanted to. It was like tin, but it worked. And my husband would sit in the front seat with the driver and practice getting back his Romanian. And I would sit in the back seat with a notebook. And I was writing everything that I saw. And I said to myself, I am going to write this from the eyes of my husband. What he is seeing going back home what has changed, and what is still the same. And I saved those notes, and those are the notes that I used for the three books. That's so awesome. That's really cool. Because one of the things i got to say before I 
I, I, I go anywhere else about this, is that what's really cool is you're writing about a country that uh, in a lot of literature, it's it's just focused on vampires and, uh, you know, <laughs> and mythological. Very famous, very right. famous Dracula. <laughs> right, with mythological creatures and such. And what's cool is that you're, you're right. We're real, Steve. Oh. Dracula was real. Sorry. I, 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 <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> um, and uh, so we're primarily, you know, when you think about it, most people go, oh, my gosh, that's where Dracula is. And, uh, you know, and all that. And, uh, um, and uh, anybody listening to me, yes. He's real, so I'm good. So, <laughs> the, uh, um, so you know, it, and you decide to write this, and this is so cool that you're seeing it through your husband's eyes and and uh, talking about it and documenting, and and not only that, but you're also bringing in these historical events from uh, the past with Romania and and uh, this as you introduce your characters that are going to be throughout these uh, these next books. I think that is that's fascinating. I'm a former history teacher, and I think it's cool. Uh-huh. Cool that uh, you're reaching out for that. What you probably recognize, because now I know that you're a former history uh, teacher, is that what I try to do with all three books is make a hybrid type of narrative to fuse fact with fiction. So all the uh, historical background and the present is historically based. It's factual. And you probably saw that. And then I interweave the fiction, which is the storyline of the of the women, the four women. And the first book is of, of one friend, Mika. The, the second book, Love Odyssey, is about Anka, the second friend. And the third book is about third and fourth friend, Marina and Christina. And it's all their voyages to escape Romania, to escape the communism at different periods of Romanian's history. So this way, I'm able to give a whole panorama, using it as the backdrop of Romanian history from the 1940s of fascism, into communism and into terrorism, because not many people know that Romania and Ceausescu was the father of the seeds of present day terrorism. And I show it. And um, that's what I tried to do, the panorama of history with the narrative of strong protagonists trying to escape and define their existence. It's awesome. That's, uh, and it's really cool that you've done that because, you know, you know, and I, I, joke or not joke about you know, most people thinking of it as the terror capital um, for a different reason, <laughs> for a vampire. Or the other, th- you know, the, if you're in my age bracket, one of the things that uh, you always think about are the gymnasts. Yes, um, yes. And uh, not actually, yes. Very much so. And how she escaped. Do you remember how she escaped? She was from Transylvania. And she was from an area, Cluj, which is the largest city in Transylvania. And... Um, she was the girlfriend to Ceausescu's son, Miku, who was a bad guy. He was just as bad as his father. And he terrorized her, and she wanted to get away from him. So she gets a friend in Transylvania who had a car, and she hides in the trunk of the car for two days with food. And in the middle of the night, the friend drives her into Hungary. And she lives here. She lives in Texas and has a, a, a gymnast school, very successful. That's awesome. I knew that. She, I thought she had a gymnast school somewhere here in the States. That's cool. Um, thank you for sharing that, too, by the way. I had forgotten how she'd gotten out. Um, but that's it's amazing. And what's really cool is that what you've done is you've you've brought all this history back and put it into your books. And I think it's it's cool. And and I'm just wondering if you could, you know, who are you who are you writing for? Who do you who do you uh, see as your audience? 
Steve, I'm a teacher. No matter what I have done in my life, and I've done a lot of things, I am basically a teacher. I had always wanted to be a teacher since I was in, in high school. And I've taught all levels from elementary to middle school to high school to college to adults, uh, tutoring. Uh, I've, I feel I've, I've seen different ages. Um, so I wrote these books for students. The first book is a very typical YA book, young adult, because Mika is 17 years old when she has to escape. And it's from the ages of 17 to 24, with it, which is her escape and, and, and her, um, her survival. But it's also a flashback to when she's a little older and she has to go back. Uh, but um, I wanted to inspire students to learn about a history that they may not have known about. So to give them some of that, but not to overload it, not softly. But I wanted to give them a, a protagonist who was probably their age, from a different background, and had to survive on her own, and how it can be done. That the opposition and the obstacles are so great, and the technique to survive is so great, uh, so important, um, and she does it. And I, I put her on a, a, a course, a survival course, uh, it's like in New York City when I drive my car and I feel I'm going through one, one pothole to another. I put her on all those potholes and she's got to pick herself up and go on and go on and go on. And the, and the road is not finished until she returns to save her parents who have been imprisoned. Um, so it's for, it's for teenagers, the YA. And the other books are for students also. Uh, strong women characters, female protagonists, who are basically existentialist women who have to define their own future. And they use their education. That's what's important that I wanted to bring up. Many people don't realize that in Eastern Europe, the women were educated very well. They were educated well by communist governments because they had to be equal to men. Even though there was prejudice and restrictions and no freedoms in every single way in Eastern Europe, it was one thing that was free, and that was being a boy or a girl was equal. Boys and girls are educated the same because they have to work for the state at the end of their education the same, and they have to put food on the table the same. So I have friends who are educated in, in Romania and in Hungary and Bulgaria who were scientists when in my age group, few women were scientists or were engineers. How many women my age were engineers or lawyers or doctors because they were educated for free like their brothers? And these protagonists are all educated women and use their education to escape and come to the new country, the host country, mostly the United States with three of the women. One of them goes to France, but they use their education to survive. And what could be better? So it's like, yes, communism, fascism had problems, but they did give some type of equality to sex. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> the, uh, um, well, cool. Awesome. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, because uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, we have going on um, when you look at comparing things and so forth and uh, um, is that, uh, you know, you can't stop but say, um, if you could take a minute and look at uh, Romania 20 years ago and what's going on with Ukraine today. Uh, I was just wondering if you'd comment about that. that that's some comment. 
first of all, seeing what's going on today has been very painful to me, as it is painful for everyone watching it. Uh, but there are there are things there that, you know, I always think that this life has a double-edged sword. There's always the good and there's always the bad. And what's good about Ukraine is the loyalty that the people have for their country, the love that they have for their country, and the loyalty for each other. And this is something that's very inspiring, that when I see the news that's going on and I see the character, the hero of Zelensky and, and how he is so self-sacrificing, you say to yourself, bravo to these people. Now, believe it, you could believe it, 20 years ago when I was writing my books, I never knew anything about Ukraine. And I never envisioned anything that would happen, what is happening today. It is only in hindsight when I look back and, and I get a little spooked. I get spooked, Steve, when I see that I had created in the second book, Love Odyssey, a Zelensky character. Uh, my male protagonist, Petra, who is the doctor, he becomes the leader of the revolution to bring down Ceausescu in 1989. And he infiltrates himself as a doctor to become the personal doctor to Ceausescu. And he is the leader. And he sacrifices his family and his wife. And, and he, he becomes such a, a hero like a Zelensky. And you see the 89 revolution. I show, I really show, because Romania was the only country that had the bloody revolution. Everyone else had a velvet revolution, but not Romania. It was violent. It was vicious. It was bloody. And Ceausescu was, was executed with his wife. Um, it was horrible. The whole period of his reign of 24 years was evil. Um, and I show it. And to me, I say, my God, Ceausescu was like a Putin character. The evil, they don't care about their people. They only care about themselves, their, their monies, their lavish lifestyle, their territories, their power. They're not leaders. And it is spooky to see it. But as a history teacher, Steve, you realize history repeats itself. And why we teach history to students is for that main reason, to show them. You can go back to the Greeks and the Romans and show them man has always had war. There has always been evil leaders. There have been always autocratic rulers. And we have to somehow learn from history. And we bang it into these kids' heads. And we try to make them see it through a movie or a book or a story or the reality or a fact or a history book. And we say to ourselves as teachers of history, oh, my God. When will they learn? And when we see what's going on in Ukraine today, and you see, didn't they learn from Romania? Didn't they learn from, from, didn't they learn? You know, that's a great question, because as a, someone who has, I have a couple of degrees in history and, and have taught it, and you, and you just look and you have to shake your head because we, we seem not to. And uh, we seem to be, de you know, I forget what the, saying is but it's you know it's like we're doomed to repeat it because we we just kind of ignore like that's the past and i'm going forward and i'm going to do my thing and you know and it's suddenly it, we're we're sitting in a situation that's so similar to, to events that have happened in the past that you're like oh my gosh man and i think it's it's, it's just wild and you you reflect upon you know you you bring those thoughts um to mind very much so very powerfully so um you know, this is, uh, um, you know, with your, with your books and so forth, one of the things that uh, um, you, to kind of get into a nice um, place after such seriousness, um, one of the things you do is you get into the power of friendship. And, 
And I was just wondering if you could talk about that theme that you have that happens throughout your three books. Yes, it's it's a very important theme for me. Um, when I started writing my, my books, I said to myself, what is going to be the main theme? And the main theme was love. And I wanted to show different types of love and how each character loves in a different way and how that ability to love can overpower the evil that sometimes is in government or in society or in medicine or anything that plagues us today. It is love that gives us hope and gives us the power to enjoy life. In the first book, Nika does everything to save her parents. It's the love for her parents, which is a normal thing for a 17-year-old kid, that it's her parents who give her the diamonds, it's her parents who educate her, who teach her, who, who, who give her the support that she needs. And when she gets out of, of Romania into the United States, into New York, and sells these diamonds that are worth a fortune, the first thing that she wants to do, of course, is to go back and save her parents and use the diamonds as a vehicle. She doesn't want the diamonds for the wealth. She wants the diamonds as a vehicle to save the parents she loves. And that gives her always in her voyage to survive. It's always in front of her. Her mission is to save her parents, the love for her parents. In the second book, it's the love that Anka has for Petra, the leader of the revolution. They are married a few years and Anka is pregnant in Transylvania. She's also a doctor and she's giving medicines Again, so eerie to me, antibiotics to fight the typhus epidemic, which is true, that happened in Romania. And she gets these medicines from her husband, who really works from the CIA. And the CIA gives Petra these medicines as the doctor to this clinic in Transylvania to make friends with the people. And Anka doesn't know this because it's also secret. But she is delivering these medicines to the gypsies, to the non-communists, to the good people. And she doesn't want to give them to the communists. So the communist leaders find out that she has these magic medicines. It's a little like what we're going through with COVID. These magic medicines to overcome typhus. They want it. They don't want it for the gypsies. They don't want it for the non-communists. They want it for themselves. So they muscle in. And she refuses. And they want to, they want to get her. And she's pregnant. So her husband has to save her. How is he going to save her? He's going to save her by subterfuge. He gets her out of the country and he promises that he's going to meet her when the baby is going to be born in a few months. But he lies. He lies. And he stays in Romania and he doesn't meet her. And he goes on the revolutionary and sacrifices everything for the ideals to bring democracy and bring down communism in his country and give the children of his country freedoms. And she brings up the child, a daughter, in New York City. And 19 years later, there's a revolution, and she realizes that her husband is that leader of the revolution, and he got rid of her, so he can go on to be the leader of the revolution. And now, the opposition groups wanna kill him, and she's gonna go back to save him. So her whole voyage to save him is because she never stopped loving him. Even though they got divorced, even though she's living with somebody else, she never really stopped loving her first husband. And she saves him. The third book, Treasure Seek, is also his love. 
but it's love for women who are a little older, middle age, 50s. And love for them becomes more ideal, an idealistic type of love. They've had their lives, they've had their loves, they've had their children. But what is important for them is the love for justice, for truth. And they see in front of them, again, fact, the gas for gold scandal, the largest gold laundering scandal in history between Iran and Turkey. And they want to unveil it. They want to expose it. They want justice. And justice is not coming. And this is an ongoing case today in New York City courts in the Southern District, still ongoing, hasn't been solved. And these two women, I bring up the history to the present, these two women go to Istanbul, to Turkey, to become so-called mixing the fact with the fiction. They're going to play like a Nancy Drew, detectives, and investigate what's going on. And they become hostages. They're kidnapped in Istanbul and put into the catacombs of Istanbul because they want to expose the government as being, in their own way, autocratic. And... They expose now Romania also because the seeds of the money for the gas for gold, in my opinion, came from Romania because when Ceausescu was executed, five days before he was executed, he went to Tehran and he took $10 billion worth of gold to store in a private bank that had just been started by Raf Sanjani, who was the new president in Iran in 1989. And he trusted Raf Sanjani with this gold. And when he was executed, Ceausescu, nobody claimed the gold. The gold was never found. And Raf Sanjani, now long, no longer being president eight years later, becomes the richest man in Iran. And I try to put together where did he get all the money to invest to become the richest man in Iran from an iman and a president suddenly is a businessman. And I figure out that he had to somehow recycle his money before he died, because he died a few years ago. He recycled his money and he used it for the gas for gold scandal, the gold laundering scandal that he used with Turkey and Iran. This, this is amazing. And, and I got to tell you, along the line, while you're thinking about writing your stories, did you think about just focusing on the history of it? Because you had to do a lot of research and looking into and piecing together the different stuff that was going on as these um, players are, you know, trying to, you know, make themselves live forever type thing with their, their money and such. Well, you know, Steve, as a history uh, professor, the greatest pleasure is the research. I, I just love the research. And um, I, I find life more exciting than literature. <laughs> I, I think there's nothing more crazy than life. I think, I think that no matter how much we try in art to imitate life, you can't imitate life because life is, has so many surprises and so many crazy twists and turns. And you say to yourself, my God, this is more wild than, than a book. This is more wild than TV or film. How is this possible? We see some of these protagonists today that I, I don't want to mention them, but you know, sitting here in New York City and I look out at the world and I look at my own country and I say, I mean, do, do these politicians really exist or are they happening in a book? And you say to yourself, this, this can't be made up in a book. No writer could make this up. 
That's funny. <laughs> you're, I love my research. <laughs> I can imagine. And it's it's like, because you're so right. I mean, it's you can't make it up. And it, it, you'd think that what's real would actually be made up as opposed to some of the real stuff. Because it's like, I mean, it's some of the made up stuff. Because it's like, uh, I mean, when you look at uh, some of these things that have happened and what you've described, and I can only imagine. I mean, when I was when I was working on uh, different uh, um, excerpts of this, that, and the other, and, and I, I'd have professors that would say, because I get off track because you discover some of this other stuff over here that's like, oh, my gosh, check this out. <laughs> and I had several professors who'd say things to me like, would you stay on topic? That's not your topic. Yeah, but it's cool. You know, this is yeah. I was looking at stuff from the 40s and 30s. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's so fascinating. And again, not many people know it. So you feel very privileged to yes. know about it. Yes, very much so. That's awesome. The, uh, this is this is cool. Now, I, um one of the things I got to get you to talk about is because you have all this film background and you've got this writing going on. Um, could you talk about how film and literature are reflective of politics and what we can learn from the arts? I mean, what they might be able to help us learn? Yes. Um, I think we're all visual learners. I th and I think you would agree with that as a teacher. Um, there's no nothing greater for retention for students is when students see something visually. Uh, we, can, we can poison them with the textbooks and poison them with the newspaper articles and poison them with whatever we want. And we say, remember, remember, remember. You'll see this on a test. But there's nothing to increase retention as showing them something visually. So we are visual learners. So I feel that um, film uh, is very inspiring and does something pedagogically that maybe literature cannot. And I try to fuse the literature, the, the writing and, and, and books with the with, with the film, and I think the together is very good because they prepare the student for life. Um, they're, they're, if you go through, as you do, through the history and, and literature, it's all there. I mean, we can go back to the Greeks, and the Greeks talk talked about everything. We can go back to the Roman gods. I, I remember reading mythology to my children and I, and they thought it was superheroes. And I kept saying, my God, it's so real. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's what makes a superhero so fantastic because they take elements that are so human. Um, so it's a wonderful way to, to learn and to teach. And, and it does prepare us for life. I think there's nothing better than art. And we ask ourselves, does art imitate life or does life imitate art? And it's a question that goes back and forth. It's like saying, what comes first, power? I'm, I'm sorry, what comes first, politics or economics? Economics or politics? And as a history teacher, you must have asked yourself that question many times. What precipitates a war? Is it the economics or is it the politics? What comes first? And it's the same thing. What comes first, life or art? And we have to have them both in our mind. That's cool. That's, I really like what you're talking about there. That's uh, because it is, I mean, it is, I've had plenty of discussions with people about uh, the idea of the economics that are driving whatever the political stance is of somebody or their, what they want to achieve or put themselves up to. So that's, that's, that's cool. That, um, you know, Roberta, this, we're getting close to finishing up. And I got to tell you, if someone wanted, before we go on, if, if someone wanted to know more about you and your work, where would you send them? I'd send them to my website. I work very hard on my website. And it's, if I may say, it's www.international. I'm not, no, that's my other one. It is um, uh, uh, TransylvaniaTrilogy.com. That's the uh, website for the Transylvania Trilogy. 
Then there's the website for International Cinema Education, which has the film and videos that I also made with a Ford Foundation grant. So uh, I would send them to both websites. That's awesome, and I'll have them in my show notes so that people can find them and uh, they'll follow you that way. The uh, um, Very cool. I, I, I have two questions that I like to ask my guests, and that's what I'd like to finish up with if we could. And the first one goes like this. When so much is going on that you become overwhelmed, what stops you from quitting? <laughs> I hope I don't quit. <laughs> I don't want to quit. I, I enjoy it so much. As I said, now I'm teaching at NYU for the past few years, my alma mater, and it's adults, and I, and I just love it. And I teach my, my students at, at, at uh, different high schools and, and my NGO, and I, I just love teaching. Um, I find it very stimulating. It, it keeps me alive. Um, it keeps me optimistic. It gives me hope when I see the students so excited and, and it's something that they've never seen before. And they say, cool, this is so cool. This is awesome. I've had students, I, I had a student, I have to give you an anecdote. I had a student from the inner city. I, I wanted to test my program. So I said, I'm going to take my program to the worst school in New York City. I don't want to tell you what it is, but we've got a few. And I took it to the worst school and I did it as an after school program starting at four o'clock in the middle of the winter when it gets dark in New York at 430. And I took it there and I had a kid who came over at the in the beginning of the class and said, what the F is this class all about? And I said, come on in. You'll see. Ah, I'm not interested in film. I'm not interested in history. I'm not interested. Give it a chance. And he kept saying, what the F, what the F, what the F? I said, come on in. The last day of the class, this kid came over to me and said, teach, this is so cool. This class, this semester was so awesome. I never enjoyed anything so much in my life. Where can I see movies like this other than in your class? Tell me, I want to see more. Now, Steve, what could be better? That's awesome. That's really cool. That's, you know you made a difference there. <laughs> That's so cool. Last question I have for you, Roberta. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference with you? If so, who was it? And if you're given a chance to say thank you, what would you say? Well, I did. I actually did. I was a senior in high school at Forest Hills High School, and I had an English teacher, Mrs. Shulman, who gave an elective class for creative writing. And she chose the students, so I felt very honored. And um, I chose drama. For my creative writing. I was going, my assignment was to produce through the, the year two, two plays. And I produced and wrote, and I was supposed to act and then choose a few other actors in each one. The first one was um, a, a play of, about a prosecutor has to go into the courthouse and plead a case of murder for a kid. And I had to prove that the kid was innocent. And I would go every day to the courthouse and do my research and sit there in the back row of, of, a, of a trial and listen and take my notes. The other play that I did was in the beauty parlor, in a beauty salon, in which there were three women who were sitting in the beauty parlor talking with each other about life. The last one was a farce, a comedy, and the first one was, was really, I guess, pretty heavy. And I enjoyed both. I really had a ball. And at the end of the year, the teacher came over to me and said, you're graduating now. What are you going to study in college? So I said, well, you know, I'm thinking maybe law. I got so into this play about the law. Maybe I, I become a lawyer or I don't know. I always wanted to be a writer. So I'm not sure. And she said to me, you should be a writer. 
you've got you've got a talent. You you should be a writer. You've got a voice in your ear. And that made the difference. So thank you, Mrs. Shulman. That's awesome. Very cool. In, just impactful. It's so cool when the when someone makes it, you know, does something that makes a difference in you. And I like that. Thanks for sharing. That's that's the greatest thing about being a teacher. I think there's nothing better than being a teacher to get these these moments in which you say that you do make a difference and you do. That you do. That you do. Uh, Roberta, it's been great talking with you. I mean, what a cool series of books. Thanks for sharing the Transylvania Trilogy, Gift of Diamonds, Love Odyssey, and Treasure Seekers with us, as well as all the cool history and such that you've you've been uncovering and revealing and sharing with people that have either been forgotten or uh, they may not know the connections between all of that. So um, I can't thank you enough. Wishing you the very best in all you do. No, thank you, Steve. It's a great pleasure. And thank you, everybody who's listening. I hope it makes a little difference. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.